0: a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I've got my friend, Dr. Mark Muska, as my guest for the whole hour. So if you have a question, this segment I always affectionately refer to as Ask the Professor. Mark was a professor here at the University of Northwestern for over 36 years, give or take a couple. And I'm always glad to have him on as my guest, which means any question you have, hard or easy, he would love to try to answer, and all you have to do is text it over. 877-933-2484. 877-933-2484 again any question 877-933-2484 mark welcome hey good to hear your voice bill yeah let's uh, let's start by talking about the unknowns in life and because we all deal with unknowns because it happens every day you wake up and you're going about your business and all of a sudden something comes into your world that's can be pretty devastating and there are unknowns that we face every day
1: Yeah. I mean, I got one going on in my life right now. I I want to give a shout out to my dear friend and his wife, uh, Herb Janes, Herb and Donna Janes. Uh, Herb, uh, just going along, Bill, and just like you said, uh, living and feeling a little fatigued and not quite right. And they go in and diagnose him a few days later uh, with uh, cancer of the blood, leukemia. And Mm. so he's in the hospital now and Going to be there for uh, a month or so, and uh, we're all uh, putting them before the Lord. But talk about uh, the great unknown coming in and busting into your life—had no idea anything like this was coming. And so, it's uh, it's a real challenge
0: for all of us. But Mark, we live with the the great known, which is Jesus. Yeah, you stole that from me. I told you I, that. I one. was I was getting to that. Don't worry, I'm always oh, going to okay. give you credit. It oh, was yeah. the whole idea that we are feeling like sheep awaiting slaughter a lot of days. Yep. And if we didn't have Jesus, if we weren't believers, I wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. I'd eat ice cream for breakfast.
1: Yeah, I believe it. Yep, I I agree with you. I don't know how uh, I made it through 19 years of life without Jesus and without the gospel. I don't know how people can do it today. It's just... There's nothing you can hold to that has an anchor for you uh, that, uh, like uh, knowing Christ and uh, understanding the inheritance that we have received as the sons and daughters of God himself, the promises of God, wow, that's that's what we cling to when it looks like everything has fallen apart around us. Mm-hmm.
0: And do you find that, that difficult, challenging news kind of comes in clusters, do you feel like? there's two or three things that seem to happen at once and you you
1: may be right you may be right no. you know uh, it just uh we have to be ready at all times there's no guarantees in this life and honestly i think a lot of us in the west living in the 21st century uh we've had it uh, awfully easy and uh so it's it's easy to start having expectations that this is the normal and uh god has a way of uh, sh- uh shaking that one up pretty good
0: yeah yeah a friend of mine's uh wife has been in Brain surgery for seven hours today, so I'm kind of waiting to hear uh, what what the result w- was. Hopefully, it all went well. So, yep, yep, you know, those are kind of days where you wake up and and you're 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 praying all day long. You're you're mm-hmm. never not praying, which I suppose is a good thing.
1: Yep, yep, you got it on your mind all day, and you share that with the Lord and uh, seek Him out because He's the one. So, I I I love what uh, a, a fellow told me. I was talking about my health plan the other day, and this broker he he pointed out to me, he says, when you get this, he had a diagnosis of cancer initially, and he said, I take that to God first. That, that goes to prayer. And then I talk to the doctors and see what they want to do. But this is God's business, first of all. And uh, I like that priority uh, that uh, he brings to his life. I think I'm going to try
0: to live that way myself. Yeah, I like that a lot. I really do. That's that's an encouragement. When you, you're, a, you're a truth teller, Mark Mosca. So when you are confronted with like Herb's uh, illness, and of course, you don't know what the outcome might be. You don't know God's will. I mean, we go to Psalm one thirty nine that says, "All of our days are appointed for us before yep. we even get one of them." Yep. Right? Yep. So we we know that that's all been predetermined by an all holy and sovereign God. Yep. So. And I'd be lying, Bill, if I didn't say it knocked me and my wife on our backsides for the
1: first couple of days. We didn't sleep real well, yeah. uh, hearing that. And I think you know that uh, the epitome of this is when you have someone die and go to be with Jesus. Uh, it's their gain, but it's our loss, and it, it's uh, it's real that we are sad and we're shaken by it, yet we're not despairing. I love the way Paul says that in 2 Corinthians about the apostles, that they might be confused, they might be sad, mm-hmm. but they never despair.
0: Yeah. Now, Mark, say more about your, your remark to me about we follow a known God where we can feel complete confidence in him when, our, when the ground on which we're standing feels kind of thin ice.
1: Yep. Yeah. That, uh, on the solid rock I stand, mm-hmm. all other ground is sinking sand. So he, uh, he is the great known. He's made himself known to us. The only contingency is there, uh, Bill, that, uh, we got to read his word to find out what that known is. We just can't sit there twiddling our thumbs. That's one of the main things that... Uh, the benefits of reading God's word is he, he, hearing His promises, hearing His view on things, and hopefully seeing that become our perspective and our approach to life. But that's not going to happen
0: just by wishing it. It comes from reading God. You're reading God's word. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get into uh, some questions, and if you sure. have one for Dr. Mark Muska, please text it over to me. Uh, the text line is eight seven. 7, 9, 3, 3, 2, 4, 8, 4. Let's uh, jump to Acts chapter 16, Mark. And I was uh, reading this, as a matter of fact, today. And there was the incidents where about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Now, the jailer is at risk because if prisoners escape, it could be their life, correct?
1: The jailer's going to die if he loses those prisoners. Yeah.
0: When the jailer woke, so he was sleeping at the time, and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Supposing that the prisoners had escaped, but Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved?
1: Yeah, what a scene. Man,
0: I hope there's reruns in heaven. Uh, I do too. That's just something. All right, so was he wanting to be saved from physical death? Was he wanting to be saved uh, spiritually or a combo of both?
1: Well, it's never expre- explained completely. And you're right to say the word saved and salvation is used in the Bible to talk about being saved from many things. Uh, Several times in the Psalms, David cries out to be saved, but he wants to be saved from his enemies. He doesn't want his enemies to kill him and to take over the kingdom. So we have to look at that carefully. In this passage, though, Bill, it's not really itemized, uh, that it could be a both-and thing, that he's in fear for his life, of course. But I tend to go further with that, that he's interested in the gospel (laughs) because— In the next verse, it says that Paul and Silas said to him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word together to him, uh, to all who were in his house. And they that night they washed up uh, Paul and Silas's wounds. You forgot to say they were beaten and they were sitting there in uh, in the prison bleeding, singing hymns to God. Mm. And so they washed him up, and it says then they were all uh, came to faith, and they were baptized, he and his household, and they were saved. So I tend to lean in that direction. It's probably a both-and, though. Mm
0: -hmm. So when the jailer says, what must I do to be saved, is that the kind of language that was used in the first century? Sounds like it, doesn't it? it? It's right there. It sure does. I mean— Yeah, so, uh, and the fact that we were talking previously about living in an unknown environment, but following a a known Jesus, I look at Paul and Silas completely uh, jailed, beaten up, and that they're singing hymns. Uh, Pretty good model for following, huh? And, you know, anyone who has talked to a
1: non-Christian Christian, And it's come to this point in the conversation. It's a holy moment, isn't it? When they say, what must I do to be saved? What do I have to do here? And you get to sit there and witness someone passing from death to life, from despair to hope, uh, from alienation with God to becoming his son or daughter. That is special.
0: Yes, it is. So when you are uh, new in the faith— And you have just made a decision to say, yes, I want to put my faith in Christ. Talk about sanctification and how that unfolds. Well, sanctification is an interesting word. It's the same word we
1: use when we talk about something being holy or something being consecrated. Uh, It means to be set apart or to be different. Uh, Sometimes it's extreme to be unique. It's used of God that he's sanctified, he's holy, Uh, there's no other God like him, he's one of a kind. But word talked about as being sanctified, and it's interesting that in the New Testament bill, that word, uh, especially the verb, is used in uh, three different uh, time references. Uh, Sometimes it talks about us having been sanctified in the past tense, and I take it that's when we put our faith in the gospel, and depend on Jesus to forgive our sins through his death on the cross in our place so we don't have to die. That happens in the past. We have been sanctified or set apart. Set apart from what? Well, right away, you're set apart from the world. You don't belong to the world anymore. You're also set apart from your former life. You used to be a scoundrel, and now you're a saint. And by the way, saint means sanctified one. You're someone who belongs to God now. So that past tense is really important. But then the way most Christians think about sanctification is this idea of continual sanctification or present sanctification, where all through our lives now as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, we see ourselves grow from a baby Christian to a mature Christian, hopefully,
0: mm-hmm. through the
1: course of our life, just like we do physically. Yeah. We, we all come out and we weigh about 8, 10 pounds or so babies, and hopefully we're fed and time goes by and t- things take place and we turn into uh, big and we're adults and we're mature until we go to be with Jesus. So same thing spiritually, and the way, the basic way that we grow in that way is through the work of God in us to change us. And that's some of the most fun out there is that he does the work for us. But then we also commit ourselves to listen to God's word, to obey him when he asks us to live in a certain kind of a way. And then we talk with him and he talks to us through his word. We talk to him uh, by uh, conversation with him uh, just about any time we want. And so that process, it might not look real obvious at the time. I mean, day by day, you don't notice when you're growing physically, but people who see you after a year or two, hey, look at that, Bill, you're you're older, you're more mature and, and that. And, oh, really, I didn't notice. And the same thing spiritually. Sometimes people don't talk to you for a while. Yeah. This happens at Northwestern all the time, mm-hmm. that students are going to go home for Christmas now. Some of them haven't been home since August. And they don't think they're anything different, but their family and friends are going, "Whoa, <laughs> this is this is kind of cool here. Look at this kid. She yeah. <laughs> she seems to not be uh, so impatient all the time, or she's not losing her temper all the time anymore. That that wasn't the kid I knew back last yeah. summer. And she'd look at it and go, hmm." You know, you might be right there. You know, yeah. I think that maybe there's been growth taking place. So anyway, yeah. that, that's the way we usually think of sanctification as nice. this ongoing process. And then, but the final sanctification takes place when we take our last breath and we are separated from this world forever, and mm-hmm. we go to be with Christ. And so, sometimes the word sanctification is used in that future sense—that we will be sanctified or
0: made holy when we go to be with Christ. Mm-hmm. Doctor Mark Muska is my guest. Ask the professor any question you have. Text it over to me, please. Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. We would love for you to share your story about why you love Faith Radio and what has Faith Radio changed the way you think about something or even how you live. We want to hear from you. Your story can encourage others and glorify God. Share what you love about Faith Radio by calling 877-933-2484 and leaving a message today. Great is thy faithfulness Welcome to the show. So glad to have Dr. Mark Muska as my guest. We're going to pepper him with questions, and I say that in a nice way. So let me know what you have for him, 877-933-2484. Hey, Mark, before we get off Acts 16, there's a passage where the uh, jailer is taken to, or Paul and Silas are taken to the jailer's home, wash their wounds, then immediately he and all his household were baptized. It seems in the book of Acts, the history book of the early church, which is what we know it to be, we don't really see a record that anybody came to know the Lord without being baptized immediately.
1: Yeah, it seems that way. It Uh, does. Well, it was that way with, um, who was it? Wasn't it Stephen or Philip that led the Ethiopian eunuch to faith in Christ, and uh, they took and they baptized him right there. The eunuch said to him, what's stopping me from being baptized. And Philip said, belief, you know, that's going to do it. So it seems that like it happens fairly quickly.
0: Yeah. Doesn't it seem like the concept that someone would receive Christ as his or her savior and then not be baptized, it almost seems unscriptural, doesn't it?
1: Well, I don't know about unscriptural, but uh, that, you know, it's a, it's a tricky question because uh, there, I see wisdom sometimes in waiting to see someone baptized with water to make sure that they understand the gospel accurately that they have made a profession of faith in that gospel message and not in something else and so uh, sometimes that may take a little while you know where you really find an issue with this bill is when young children make a profession of faith in the gospel mm-hmm. Many churches will wait until they grow a little bit older so they have a better grasp on exactly what the gospel is. You get into issues like forgiveness... And uh, someone being your substitute to take that penalty of sin away from you, I don't know how many younger children can really grasp that. So I can see why churches would wait sometimes to uh, baptize. I think the important thing to take from this is we are commanded to baptize and to be baptized. And so the time frame between the profession of faith in the gospel and that being baptized with water uh, the, the the how long it is is a secondary question to uh, you really need to do this. I was amazed at how, how many students at the Northwestern had been uh, from Christian homes, family homes and that, but yet had not been baptized yet at the age of 18, 19, 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And so I would say to them, I don't think you have to rush out this afternoon and have somebody, you know, perform this for you in Lake Johanna or something like that. But uh, I don't think you should just delay it either. This is something you need to uh, come to this point. I look at baptism and water baptism in several different ways, and one of them is, this is your statement that you're a Christian, and by baptism, you're saying it publicly. Mm -hmm. This isn't some quiet decision that you made in your heart and you didn't tell anybody else about it. That's fantastic if you've done that, but there comes a time where you need to make that known. I used to love it in Billy Graham's meetings where he would ask people if they're ready to put their faith in the gospel to get up out of their chair and to come forward to the platform that he was speaking from. Because just by doing that, you're making a public statement yeah. that people see you and the people you came with go, hey, look at that, Horace. He's getting up and going there to talk to Billy Graham. Yeah. Uh, this must be something real. So there's an importance to that public statement that you're making. It's a public statement to the church, to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's a statement to the community too. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't mind it a bit if newspapers or, you know, uh, online news services would publish people's baptisms as Christians so they could be held uh, responsible and accountable for that decision that they've made. It
0: is a public thing. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the Ethiopian eunuch and and the jailer said to Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? I think that was pretty much the same question uh, the Ethiopian eunuch said, tell me, what must I do to be saved? Yeah. Of great yep. interest.
1: That's a beauty of a question.
0: Yeah, that's a great question, isn't it? Mm-hmm. All right, I got other questions, Mark. Are you ready? Okay. Um, let's see here. John chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, Mary asks Jesus to do something to help, and Jesus responds, with his time has not yet come, yet mm-hmm. he proceeds to perform miracles anyway. Did mm-hmm. Jesus not know that this would, in fact, be his time? Or perhaps does this show that Jesus considers the request of his loved ones? What do you think?
1: It may be a lot of that. Uh, I think that uh, uh, this, this idea of Jesus saying his time has not yet come, it's repeated in John's gospel uh, several times that uh, he makes it clear that his time had not come for him to accomplish the, the main uh, goals or the main purposes for him being born as a human being, that uh, you're going to find that through John's gospel. And then what's really significant is when Jesus has his last meal with the apostles, the last supper we call it a lot of the time, uh there's a very uh, powerful thing that John says in chapter 13 of John, verse 1, where he says, now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father. So it's like, here it is, folks. This is the central event that's that's going to take place over the next few days. So I, I really like that the way Jesus set that up. So back to chapter two has, you know, it it's it seems as though he wants it made clear that he can do something here to help with this wedding at Cana. But his time to, Go through the the cross and the resurrection that hasn't happened yet. Interestingly, Bill, I don't know if you've seen it, but you know I'm a big fan of this uh, multi-season TV show on the life of Christ called The Chosen, Mm -hmm. and this is one of the scenes they did in the first year. And I really like the way they handled this question about his time having not come because they did this with Mary and Jesus. And Jesus said to him, uh, her, uh, my time has not yet come. And then they've inserted something that the Bible doesn't have. So we have to take it with a grain of salt. Maybe she said it, maybe she didn't because they have Mary say back to Jesus, well, if, if this is not the time, when is the time? And then he goes into the jars that had been filled with water and he prays and he says something along the time, uh, along the lines, he prays to the Father and he says, it now starts, Mm. it now begins, where he is going public now as the Messiah. And the road to the cross, he's entering upon it. It's going to
0: take a few years for him to get there, but the show has begun. I just got goosebumps. All right, Mark, I got to take a break. But when we come back, lots more questions uh, for Dr. Mark Muska. Ask the professor 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. I'm back with Dr. Mark Muska, and we are asking him questions. And if you have one, let me know what it is. Text it over, 877 2484 Mark, we had a question about what is the covenant of the salt. Um, yeah. And I, I, don't, I know nothing about that.
1: Yeah, and I know just a little bit more than you. Okay. And I, I haven't we're, studied we're, this that much. We're but quite it's... a team. It's quite, it, it's interesting uh, yeah. that you get into the scriptures and you, you get into things that are uh, are uh, intriguing and you learn a lot if you're not careful as you study God's word. So, yeah. uh, I looked up some of this in the Old Testament. Um, I think he referred to 2 Chronicles 13.5 that exactly talks it. about a covenant of salt. Uh, this expression is used over in Numbers 18 as well. Where uh, I'll just read it here. This is prescribing a lot of the sacrifices that are taking place in uh, the tabernacle and the procedures uh, and the priests and what they do uh, with these sacrifices. So uh, let's see here. Uh, Talking about the priests, it says, Their meat, the meat from these animals that are sacrificed, shall be yours. It shall be yours like the breast of, of a wave offering and like the right thigh. Of another animal. All the sacrifices of the holy gifts which the sons of Israel offer to the Lord, I have given to you and your sons and your daughters with you as a perpetual allotment. So these priests were supposed to be able to get food from these sacrifices, from some of the portions of the animals that were sacrificed. And here it is it says, it is an everlasting covenant of salt before the Lord to you and your descendants with you. And so it's referenced here, but it's not really explained. Uh, The the, uh, uh, study notes that I have in my Bible here describe this being described in uh, 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 Leviticus 2.13, that salt accompanies some of the grain offerings that they do, that uh, Ezekiel 43 talks about salt being sprinkled on burnt offerings, and uh, Exodus 30 uh, talks about uh, one of the ingredients in incense for the sanctuary was salt. And so you get these little hints here and there, and that really gets me thinking, Bill, because you want to know. And it's like the Bible's not going to give me enough here to really be conclusive about what this all is all about, but it appears to be something that is a part of the procedure in the Tabernacle or the temple for the sacrifices with the priest's involvement that is to be. Uh, perpetuated, is mm-hmm. to be followed. And so I don't know how much farther we can go with this at this point. Uh, in the New Testament, you know, Jesus and others talked about salt and how, you know, it it must not lose its saltiness. Otherwise, uh, how good is it after that? So uh, this, uh, this idea comes uh, creeping
0: through verses and chapters in the scripture here and there. I think there was some tradition about in the ancient world that if you were entering into a legally binding agreement, you would mutually ingest some kind of salt together in the presence of witnesses, and that would bind together the contract? Hmm. Uh, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I'd have to look that one up. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah. I think Hmm. the word salary, though, comes from the old word, the ancient word salt money, Hmm. referring to uh, a Roman soldier's allowance for the purchase of salt so if someone is earning his pay he's said to be worth his salt yeah yeah i'm full of fun facts today
1: yeah and it's it's fun cuz you can chase these things down and you know with the internet you can you can find a whole lot of this stuff today that we uh, would have had to search
0: for for a few days to find yeah but you know how much of it that you're going to read is going to be truthful and how much of it is just stuff that you're reading on the internet well, hopefully, you got your stink meter in place so you can yeah.
1: smell a stinker if it sounds like it's a little weird.
0: Yeah, but I I love this covenant of the salt. I appreciate the listener that sent that over that question because that's something I want to do a little studying on myself because mm-hmm. I know I know there were odd traditions back in the day of uh, coming to a mutually agreeable contract. I mean, there was one where you'd put someone's sandal underneath your thigh, right? So yeah, all that's. Kind-
1: that's over there with uh, Ruth and Boaz. Remember that's right. That?
0: That's yeah. right. That's exactly where it is. So yeah. I appreciate that. But mm-hmm. yeah, so I, I always like finding out more about that. So it was 2 Chronicles 13, verse 5, talking about mm-hmm. the covenant of salt. And that's, uh, anyway, I want to do some more studying on that. That's really interesting. All right, uh, Mark, what are the two witnesses in the book of Revelation? And Oof. that's Revelation 11. It describes two people, two individuals who will accomplish God's work during the tribulation. But what else do we know about these two? Not a whole lot. That's what I thought. That they are they
1: are proclaiming the truth of God during this terrible time of turmoil that takes place at, uh, I, I think it's most appropriate to call it the great tribulation. Jesus uses this term in Matthew 24. He says, unprecedented evil and chaos mm-hmm. on the earth during that time and but they were witnesses to the truth and yet they themselves are killed and then uh, their bodies are raised up and taken to heaven wow. uh, in Jerusalem there and so uh, it sounds uh, awfully exciting and spectacular in a in both a glorious and a dreadful kind of a way of the
0: the conflict that's going to take place yeah who might be some of the candidates uh, Moses, would he be a candidate, Elijah, Enoch? I mean, what that's you... a really good
1: question. And yeah. I don't know if we can answer it okay. because there is precedent here, you know, that remember when Jesus goes up to the mountain with, uh, uh Peter, James and John, uh, that with him appear Moses and Elijah there. And, uh, So it it isn't like something like this hasn't happened, where someone who has died and gone to be with God has made an appearance like this in uh, in the time of Jesus. And so it very well could be—I don't think they're specified, though, Bill, so it could be anyone that God raises up as a witness and a prophet at that time— uh, to uh, declare the truth in a time of unprecedented evil and godlessness on the earth.
0: Mm-hmm. Mark Mosca is my guest. Ask the professor, let me know what your questions are for him 877 933 2484. Mark, what about religious or spiritual artifacts? Question has come in How did the Ark of the Covenant get lost?
1: That's a great question. If you've gone to the movies, you know what (laughs) happened there. You know that uh, there was a whole lot of money made in Hollywood about the Raiders of the Lost Ark and uh, Harrison Ford and and all that business. Um, uh, Dealing with the last question first how did the ark get lost? I don't think that's uh, all that difficult because remember that the cataclysmic event for Israel and Judah. in the Old Testament took place in 586 when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem, destroyed the city, destroyed the temple, took the population, at least most of the population, off to Babylon and just left to the poorest of the poor in Jerusalem. So he destroyed the temple. The ark was in the temple. So presumably he took the ark with him. And then we really lose track of the ark that, that uh, what happened to it, uh, your guess is as good as mine. We know from history before that that people who messed around with this ark had a real problem. Uh, my wife and I were just reading this over in First Samuel a few days back where the Philistines capture the ark when it's brought into battle by Israel, and they have a real problem with that. I, this is a family show, so I'm not going to get into the details of that, but boy, uh, they got rid of that ark. It, it was not good for the people of Philistia to have that. And so maybe something like that happened, but we just have to Uh, We just have to close our eyes to that and say, uh, we just don't know Mm -hmm. what happened to that ark. The other one, maybe the number two in popularity that people love to talk about is another ark, and that's Noah's ark. Right. And is that up there on the mountains someplace in Turkey? Uh, There's been reports of this kind of thing with mountain climbers and archaeologists and that, that they've been in the ancient ark of Noah and uh, they've seen it, but the Turkish government is keeping them out and all this intrigue. It makes for quite a story. Uh, but uh, is it up there? Is it something that will be discovered? Uh, your guess is as good as mine. Uh, this may be something God's going to bring to light in the end times for some purpose, but uh, we just I, I just like to let those kind of things go. When the scripture doesn't speak real clearly about something, I'm not going to try to be real clear about it. I'm going to back off of it, and I think we have to leave
0: some ambiguity there. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that, Dr. Mark Muska. If you have a question for Mark, let me know, 877-933-2484. Here's one, Mark. Why was David's anointing by Samuel given such little attention by his father and brothers?
1: <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, we got to go back to Second Samuel for that one. And that—that's uh, quite a scene. I'm sorry, it's in First Samuel, and I love this. Path. Talk about another one. I hope there's reruns, because <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Samuel is sent to uh, David's house, his his father, and uh, uh, I, I'm looking at it here in First Samuel 16, and uh, God has told Samuel to go to Bethlehem here, uh, to Jesse's house. And he's uh, he says in chapter 16, verse 1, I have selected a king for myself among his sons. And Samuel's going, uh-uh. If I go there and Saul finds out, I'm as good as dead if I anoint somebody else, but God tells him just go do it. So Samuel goes and uh, Jesse, uh, he he says he wants uh, to have his Jesse's sons paraded before him and God will show him who the next king is going to be, I'll designate it for you. And uh, first comes in here uh, that uh, when they entered, he looked at uh, uh, Jesse's oldest son, Eliab, and verse 6 of 1 Samuel 16, it says, When they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him, the oldest son. He's, he looks great. And God says, Uh-uh. Uh, don't look at the appearance. Great verse. Verse 7, Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his height or his stature, because I've rejected him. For God sees, not at man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's really good. Nah. But then they they parade through the rest of Jesse's sons, and it's like God says, nope, uh-uh, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> and seven times, mm-hmm. and they get a little they get a little frustrated at all this. And uh, Samuel says to Jesse, are these all your kids? And uh, Jesse says, well, in verse 11, it says, Samuel said to Jesse, are these all the children? And he said, there remains the youngest behold, he's tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him. We will not sit down until he comes here. And then this is really good. I got to read it, Bill. It says, verse 12, so he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with a beautiful eyes and handsome appearance. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. And can you imagine this picture in verse 13? Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. (laughs) And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Wow. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Can you imagine, have you ever talked with any families that have multiple boys like this? Oh, yeah. The youngest one usually is just getting pounded all the time. Totally. If it it wasn't for mom, the kid (laughs) wouldn't make it, you know? So true. The the mom has to rescue the kid. So he's surrounded by his brothers, the text says here. What a scene for that to take place. but. He doesn't look at the outward appearance. He
0: looks at the heart, and David was the guy. So what, what a fantastic story. I love that story. Thank yep. you for sharing it again today. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest. If you have a question for Mark, let me know what it is. Text it over, 877-933-2484. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting myfaithradio.com. Back with Dr. Mark Muska, Ask the Professor. One of my favorite segments, because Mark's one of my favorite people. Let me know what your questions are, 877-933-2484. Mark, let's jump into Luke chapter 15. We think of that as a um, parable of the uh, prodigal son included in that passage. Yep. And when you go to the movies, you take care of the movies, and the opening credits start, and it always starts with the main star of the movie, Right. Yep. And then the next main star, and then the next main star. So if we're doing a movie on the prodigal son, what name appears first? Jesus. Okay, good. That's easy. When in doubt. Oh, well, yeah.
1: The answer is Jesus.
0: Cuz I think sometimes people think of the story and they think the uh the lost son is the star of this story and I I would say no, it's Jesus. Well, he's a main character and uh he's pointing. There's three
1: parables there that are back to back. And he is trying to have these people understand what God's attitude is towards sinners. And so he talks about a sheep that's lost, and he talks about a shepherd, and that's God. And that, sh- that shepherd leaves the 99 to find the one. And when he finds him, it's, he rejoices greatly. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's who God is. He does not frown and shake his head At those who are lost, he seeks after them like that shepherd. Mm -hmm. Or God is like the woman who lost one of her coins, maybe one of her dowry coins, and she cleans the whole house. I love to kid people about this. You ever have seen a mom in cleaning mode? You better (laughs) get out of the house, or you're going to end up in a garbage bag on the curb. You know, (laughs) she cleans his whole house on, and same thing. When she finds her coin, she rejoices greatly, and. Jesus says, in the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So God's attitude towards sinners, he seeks after them, and they rejoice. There's a party in heaven when they're found. And then the most famous is the prodigal son. It's really about the father. He is the loving father, and he's looking for this kid that has gone off, squandered his inheritance— But he's looking for him, and he sees him a long way off, and he runs out to him, and he doesn't even listen to the kids' excuses. The kids rehearsed it all. You know, Father, Mm -hmm. I've sinned before God and before you. Make me one of your sermons. I'll be happy. And it's like he doesn't even listen to him. He tells them to get the ring and the the cloak and kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a party. Mm. He rejoices with his son being found. The fun thing about chapter 15, though, with the prodigal son is it doesn't end with the kid being found and the party. It ends with his older brother. Because his older brother's out in the field, he hears the party. And it says in verse 28, but the older brother became angry and was not willing to go in. His father came out and began pleading with him. The son says, "For many years, I have served you, never neglected a command of yours, yet you' not given me a, a young goat for a party so that I might celebrate with my friends." But when this son of yours came notice he doesn't call him his brother Yeah, this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth, and with prostitutes you killed the fatted calf for him. And listen to what he says, the father. And the father said to him, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. So there's a nice little postscript onto that story. That's God's attitude toward the sinner. He seeks diligently after sinners and he rejoices greatly when they're found. So then friend, what's your attitude going to be toward sinners? Mm-hmm. You're going to be the older brother and refuse to celebrate. They've been a sinner. How about some of these notorious sinners that have turned to faith in Jesus and the gospel? Amen. You're going to accept them? Well, you know what, God does so. are you going to rejoice? Or are you going to stand outside and refuse to get on get with the program? That's God's program to see lost people saved, and that should be something that we rejoice over uh, every time. So it's a powerful ending to that thing because I love it as well. Jesus doesn't finish the story. He doesn't tell what the older brother did. And I can imagine he's probably looking at the Jewish leadership as he talks about the father's words. And he's saying to these Jewish leaders, this boy was dead and he's come to life. Come in and rejoice. Are you going to celebrate when these people come to faith in me and in the gospel? Or are you going to
0: be angry about it? Really, really good storytelling. Yeah, you got all kinds of energy. You're talking like you got a good nap today. Well, you know, this stuff will get you going. It does.
1: I love these stories. I, they just
0: I, live, don't they? They're they two thousand years
1: old. And oh, they still yeah. live.
0: Because you know this this uh, must have been very disruptive to the family's financial portfolio. Because you didn't this dad just didn't write a check for the younger son. He probably had to sell something off, right? Which would yep. have been uh, everyone in the community would have known. His friends would have said, "What are you doing?" I mean, there there was a lot of stake there. Yep. But Jesus, Luke leaves no doubt because before the parables,
1: he tells us why Jesus is saying this. Verse 1 of the chapter, all the tax collectors and sinners, the, the down and outers, the scum, they were coming near Jesus to listen to him. But then the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. <laughs> well, what do you think he's going to do? Remember where he says elsewhere, I haven't come for the healthy. I've come for the sick. But they're jealous. They're condemning Jesus for being around people who are lost. And so Jesus has to just clarify things. This is what God's attitude is toward the lost. What's your
0: attitude? hmm Well said, Mark. So... Let's turn our attention in our few remaining minutes sure. to uh, what's going on. What else is going on this month with Christmas? And as we start to get our minds focused on the celebration of the birth of Christ, yep. where does where does your brain go? Oh, I just love to
1: think of the story. It's an old, old story, but it's still awfully good, and it's it's too spectacular to be made up, <laughs> isn't it? It is. I don't think anybody's smart enough to make up a story like this where the God of the universe humbles himself to take on a human nature and to be born as a baby in a stable. Mm -hmm. It's just absurd. You're going to really be a human being? Why don't you come down as an angel? It would be much more impressive, many more converts. No, 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 no. He's going to be just like us. He's going to be a human being. Well, why don't you have him be born in a palace? Nope. Nope. He humbled himself. He showed us that the strong become weak so that all can be saved. It's just spectacular, the contrast here to me, Bill. Mm -hmm. And so I love going back to Luke chapter 2 and just reading it and trying to— trying to picture it. Again, I put a promo in for The Chosen. If anybody hasn't seen the first pilot for The Chosen called The Shepherd, they've got to go see that because it captures this in Luke 2 so well. It's only about 15, 18 minutes long. You go on YouTube, you'll find it easy. Just type in The Shepherd, The Chosen, and you'll find it. And it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing. To show to a family, we showed it to our our seven-year-old and five-year-old grandsons a couple nights ago, and they loved it. I had to explain a couple things to them about what was going on, but otherwise, they tracked with it. It was wonderful. So uh, any way that you can put this into uh, concrete terms like that is
0: just special. Mm -hmm. And, Mark, you're, you're doing a little bragging on your former student, Dallas Jenkins, aren't you? You bet, Dallas Jenkins is the
1: son of Jerry Jenkins. Everybody from the 20th century remembers the Left Behind books, right?
0: Mm-hmm. With
1: Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. Jerry was a co-author of those. Well, his son Dallas came through Northwestern in the 1990s, and uh, he is a film producer, and he has uh, followed in his father's steps as far as really ministering, not through the written word of novels, but through the visual of television and movie making, and this uh, this is wonderful. I have great respect for Dallas. He, he seems to have his head screwed on straight. He realizes who God is and who he is. I love his little statement he makes about The Chosen, where he says, based on the feeding of the 5,000, he says, I've realized that my responsibility is to bring the loaves and fishes. It's God's responsibility to feed these people. Yeah, that, that just is special. That's so, beautiful. Salute to Dallas. I, I commend him. I think he's uh, doing a great work and it's just rolling through the, the world unbelievably popular now. Mm-hmm. And then have you done any
0: shopping for the grandkids?
1: Oh, that's my wife's category. <laughs> <laughs> I knew the uh, answer to that question. I asked it anyway. Yeah, you know that's true. It's, uh, my wife is such a generous person, and she just loves this time of year. And uh, the the presents are a way for her to, to communicate to the people she loves, how mm. much she loves them, and the joy she gets from seeing the smile on their face when
0: they open a present from Grammy Beautiful. or from Mom. It's just the best. Beautiful. Mark, well, thank you so much for... Spending the time today and Merry Christmas to you, my friend. And uh, it's just really nice to hear your voice and spend this time with you. And I'll look forward to the new year. Yep. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Yep. Bye bye. Dr. Mark Musk has been my guest. Ask the Professor is the name of that segment. I love that segment. And thank you for your great questions. And thank you for listening today. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for supporting Faith Radio. Thank you for being nice to me. I love it all. And uh, I will see you tomorrow. Look forward to it. Have a good night.